Well, good morning again, and um, glad you could be joining us. I was almost going to say it's nice to see you guys, but I can't see you. You you could only see me. Um, for those of you who are new or are checking us out, you're kind of an online guest or visitor. My name is Jeff Strong. I am the lead pastor here at the, the Nelson Covenant Church, and uh, we're really glad that you could be with us this morning. I'm going to open a prayer, and then we're going to open our Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 10. And that's where we're going to spend uh, most of our morning. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for this opportunity to gather, even if it's only virtually, God. But we do gather, and we gather with Christians all around the world, not just within our uh, own theological tribe of the covenant, but across denominations. And we want to give you the praise and the glory, and just pray and ask for your blessing on this message and all the messages that are going to be um, going out this morning and just pray that they would not return void, but that you would do a powerful work in and through them. Amen. Okay, so I've had a few weeks off from preaching, and so I am back, hopefully not too rusty, but I have felt... um, it was a little bit turbulent to go back into my normal routine this week after having a few weeks off. We are going to continue in our series on reset. We started this in early January, and it's been really, really helpful and instructive for me, and I hope it has to you as well. The big idea is that this pandemic, and as 2021 unfolds, this new year is an opportunity to pause and reset around um, the priorities that Jesus says need to be the essential galvanizing anchor point for our lives. Because life can get cluttered. We can become very easily distracted. Even during a pandemic where there are less options towards that distraction, that doesn't necessarily mean we focus on the right things. And so this has been a time where I've been encouraging our church and encouraging you specifically as a follower of Jesus to take stock carefully week by week and allowing the series to build so that we move into and through 2021, reset according to God's priorities. Our key verse has been Hebrews 12.1 might be familiar to you if you've spent a lot of time in churches. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us, and let's run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And for me, the key part of that verse that I've been kind of fixated on is this idea that we have a responsibility to play in throwing off things that hinder us, and sin. So there's outright rejection and rebellion against God, our sins, but there's also just things that hinder us, things that have just piled up and layered over our lives that aren't actually helping us run the race that we're called to run. And we have a part to play in identifying those things and then saying, these need to, I need need to drop this dead weight. This is really only a burden on my life. It's not actually helping me honor God, serve God faithfully, grow into the person that God is calling me to be, to be the light that God wants me to be in this world. So in the first week, we started by bringing everything back to the ultimate foundation, which is Jesus. I think it's incredibly unwise and ultimately futile if we seek a major reset in our lives while at the same time bypassing Jesus and his gospel. Because part of the good news that Jesus offers is that while we can make kind of micro resets and adjustments in our lives, he actually has the power to facilitate a great reset a reset in our relationship with God, a reset in terms of our own identity, our own understanding of our mission in the world. Jesus called it being born again. And when we surrender to Jesus, that actually is the foundational reset 
that will make all the other resets actually fruitful. And we can't skip over it. You and I need to recognize that we were created by and for God, and Jesus is the door through which we pass in order to repair that relationship with God and really come into a full sense of who God is, who we are, how we're called to live in the world. So Jesus offers the great reset. It's not something we have to earn. It's not something that we have to merit through religious performance. We can simply ask for forgiveness, for help, and say, Jesus, I want to reset in my life. But I believe you're the only person who can ultimately facilitate that. The second week we talked about kingdom essentialism, that once we turn our lives over to Jesus, there are a few things that Jesus foregrounds to those who follow him as a way of saying, the Christian life is not, I give my life to Jesus, and then I just more or less carry on my life as usual. You know, maybe avoiding some of the really bad things. Uh, No, Jesus says, this is a complete reorientation around certain essentials. And those essentials are, an essential pursuit where Jesus says, if you follow me, if you call yourself a disciple, then what that's going to mean is that you are going to seek first, seek as as a place of priority, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The kingdom of God doesn't refer to heaven as if you're trying to seek heaven. You've been gifted with heaven when you turn, uh, when you surrender your life to Jesus. The kingdom of God is a life as God intended it, life under the rule and reign of God, living the way God has designed you to live in relationship with him. We're to seek that as a priority and his righteousness, learning to become like him in our character. Jesus also points us back and and does so in his ministry many times to the essential priority, which is to make sure God comes first in all things. We're learning to evaluate all the dimensions of our lives through the lens of, does this reveal that my ultimate allegiance is God? Is the way that I'm handling this relationship or this opportunity, um, this money, these resources, these talents, is the way that I'm using these things show that God is my ultimate priority? And am I using these things in a way that brings honor to him? And then lastly, Jesus anchors us in the essential command that in all that we do, we are learning to love God, heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. Jesus says, all the other commands of God hang on these two things, which is his way of saying, all of the other commands only make sense when you understand them through the lens of our ultimate calling as human beings, and certainly as Christ followers, is to love God with every part of who we are and then to bring that love to bear in real, tangible, transformative, good ways in the relationships around us. So Jesus gives us an essential pursuit and priority and command. Now the next week, we talked about the fact that because Jesus doesn't just save us and then leave us to just kind of... um, coast through the rest of our life while we await uh, death and then heaven because he actually has a plan and a purpose that he wants to accomplish through our individual lives that means a process begins when we turn our life over to jesus that's not kind of the end of things that's just the beginning and that process is called sanctification where we learn to be set apart slowly and progressively more surrendered to God, more yielded to God, more eager to cooperate with God, becoming more and more like Jesus in all that we say and do and think. And we talked about the kind of mindset that that begins to um, kind of grow. And Well, there's a mindset that grows and develops in us as the Spirit is at work through God's Word. And that mindset is talked about in Romans 12 too, where the Apostle Paul talks to the Roman church and he says, I don't want you to conform anymore to the pattern of this world. Um, 
He says, I don't want you to live like um, people who don't understand who God is lives. He says, I want you to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the word there is, could also be translated mindset. Because then you're going to be able to attest and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Paul says, when you become a Christian, what's going to happen is God is going to set you on a path of renewal where you're going to begin to see things very differently, sometimes very sharply all at once, but sometimes it will be a progressive unfolding. But that process of growth, that process of development is called sanctification. And it's the renewing of our mind. And we talked about how that is... A, a lot of that, or at least what I wanted to highlight, a, a dimension of that is developing and you know, cultivating and strengthening a growth mindset where we realize if God is for us, who can be against us? And we move into the world with boldness and confidence. And instead of seeing challenges in our lives or uh, real hardships that require effort to overcome as things which are a problem to be solved and an issue to be sidelined and to be avoided at all costs, we actually see those things as opportunities to grow and develop and learn new ways of trusting God and serving other people and learning new things about ourselves. And so instead of having this attitude where we're set towards, towards ease and comfort, we're actually set towards, I actually want to glorify God in this. And that's really freeing because it means that whether you're going through good times or really, really challenging times or just kind of like life is kind of like, okay, like it's kind of somewhere in the middle, we always have a central mission in a sense. And that is how, given where I am in my life right now, given what I'm dealing with, how can I bring glory to God? How can I honor him in all things? And instead of having this defeatist attitude that says, well, I guess I'm going through hard times or I've struggled here, so I guess that's just the way it's going to be. Instead of giving into that kind of resignation, I really believe the Spirit of God teaches us and leads us to a place where we recognize if God's resurrection power spirit is within us, I need to be careful how I talk about the realities of my life. I need to start using qualifiers like yet so when I say, you know, I, I'm, um, I, I really find reading and getting into the Bible and getting a lot out of it really hard. I'm not good at that. That I remind myself to say, no, I'm not good at that yet. But with God's grace, I'm going to grow and learn. I'm not, I'm not great at knowing how to effectively talk and navigate some challenging issues in my relationship with my kids or my teenager yet. And that yet primes us to seek God and to seek resources that help us to grow. The next week we talked about chutzpah, which is kind of an extension of that kingdom mindset. When we understand that God is at work in our lives, we live with an increasing holy boldness. It's not an arrogance, but it's a settled state of understanding who we are, who God is, and kind of kind of leaning and living into this momentum that recognizes, yeah, we're here for something important and meaningful. And I'm not looking or expecting, I'm not looking for or expecting a carefree life, a life of ease. I kind of am ready for a challenge. I like the challenges. I like the way they force me deeper into prayer, deeper into the word, deeper into real relationships, deeper in self-reflection. And as we take little steps like that, this chutzpah, this boldness begins to grow in us and our faith becomes stronger and deeper and more exciting because with every challenge that we face, we're increasingly taking it on with an attitude that says, Okay, I haven't learned how to walk with God through a situation like this yet. But I'm going to learn. And I'm excited to learn. Because when I move through new challenges, when I move through new hardships with God, I learn something new about God. I learn something new about myself. I learn something new about what it means to love and honor Him and love other people well. And if that's the central, if that's the essential command, but if that's tied into the essential pursuit and priority, 
then life becomes one big opportunity to bring glory to God by serving Jesus where we are. And then in the fifth week, I talked about, and I borrowed language from uh, actually performance coach because I really liked it. She talked about obsessively curating your inputs. We're getting inputs all the time. And Philippians 4 says, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. That if we want to experience a reset in our lives, part of that kind of pause and pondering and reflection is to take stock of what inputs are we allowing to come into our lives? Content inputs in terms of media, entertainment, music, but also relational inputs. And if we think of our lives as concentric circles where the center is that which is most influential and shaping and formative, and the outside edges are just um, um, formative, but to a much smaller degree, what are those inputs that we've allowed to become central that are kind of malforming us? They're disfiguring our ability to lean into what God has for us. And so we need to sort of marginalize those more. And what are those relationships that we've allowed to become maybe too central because their influence is over, a, you know, all things being equal, pretty, pretty net and pretty negative, and it's actually disruptive and so we don't necessarily want to cut those relationships out of our lives, but we want to be judicious and say, if I have an essential pursuit and I have an essential priority and there's an essential command for me as a Christ follower that I want to give my life to, I need to understand that I need to, um, I need to make sure there are more people in that central circle that are helping me move in that direction then there are people who are either ambivalent to it or worse actually inviting me to reconsider whether i should make those things a priority now again i know that was kind of a big intro i've kind of shrunk the formal teaching time of today because that was a big intro i felt like i wanted to make sure that we were on ramping back into the reset series after a number of weeks off but that's been the momentum of the series how do we reset and recognize that we often will need to reset pretty consistently, maybe in just a, um, a dimension of our life, like in our marriage or uh, in our role as an employee or as an employer. We'll kind of need to take a break, step back, reconfigure things so that we can re-engage more um, effectively. But this is a great time for us as the church to take this time where we're not meeting together and to leverage that discomfort and that discontent and to say, okay, God, prepare us for what is to come. Show us, create a right spirit in us. Show us where we've gone wayward. Show us where we've become overly cluttered and distracted with lesser pursuits. Show us the path you want us individually walking on in our marriages, families, and as a church. Now, today I want to talk about another critical piece of properly resetting in our lives, and that is learning to live skillfully. Learning to live skillfully. In Ecclesiastes chapter 10, if you go down to the 10th verse, there is just a absolutely powerful verse that I would encourage you to memorize, put on your wall, stick it in your wallet, Put it on your phone. If the axe is dull and its edge unsharpened, more strength is needed. But skill will bring success. If the axe is dull and its edge unsharpened, more strength is needed, but skill will bring success. Anyone who works with cutting tools, so whether you're a chef in the kitchen or a carpenter in the shed, you understand how important it is to keep blade edges sharp. Because it might mean the difference between being able to actually do the job at all, 
But even if you can get it done, a dulled edge is going to require way more effort. And it will just make your life increasingly difficult and uncomfortable and frustrating. That's why Abraham Lincoln has this fairly famous quote where he says, if you were to give me six hours to chop down a tree, I'd spend the first four sharpening my axe. And when you hear a quote like that, I think if you pause and consider it for a moment, you're like, yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense. Instead of just getting to work and being like, I got eight hours or yeah, six hours, I just got to chop this thing down and moving right into action. Might be smarter to make sure the tool that you're using to cut down that tree is actually in an optimal state. And yet, how many of us apply this same principle in our own lives? One of the books that, were, that was deeply formative for me when I was about 19 or 20, but I read it and reread it a number of times in my late teens into my mid-20s was Stephen Covey's The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And his, seven ha- his seventh habit is kind of this principle. And he called it sharpening the saw. And it was, it was a chapter that was built around this idea that we are the most important material resource that we have in our lives. And just like we need to take care of tools that we use to get certain jobs done, maybe in our vocation, we need to make sure that we are self-sharpening so that we don't get run down and dull and ultimately ineffective and maybe even useless. But that's easier said than done because we live in a world where it's very tempting to just get on with getting on, just get stuff done. Part of the um, DNA of our culture is productivity. And we can, often, um, we can often fall into the temptation of thinking simply doing more means being more productive. But understanding this principle of sharpening the saw and tying it into Ecclesiastes 10 with skill, success comes. Yeah, being busy, working hard, isn't necessarily being more productive. Living skillfully is more productive. How many of us are are practicing this habit in our lives, this principle? How many of us have a rhythm where we are sharpening the saw so that we keep our edge sharp, so that we can sustainably and effectively fulfill our God-given responsibilities. I mean, think about those two words, right? We We want to be sustainable in what we do, and we want to be effective. That's what having a sharp edge in the t- with the tool that is you means. We want to marry those two um, ideals in our life, right? We don't want to be sustainable but not effective there's no point in sustaining something that isn't actually important right we want to actually make a difference we want to be useful but we also want to avoid the trap of trying to be incredibly effective without doing so in a way that is sustainable because if we simply just try and do more and more and more even if it's great even if our ambition is awesome even if the things that we're actually doing start out as being very very good in terms of the broader context of loving God and serving our neighbor. If it's not sustainable, if we can't enter into a pattern of living where we can't be effective week over week, month over month, year over year, well, what good is that? It doesn't glorify God to just burn the candle at both ends, accomplish all this stuff within 30 days, but then burn out and having to take two years to recover. So we want to learn how to sharpen the saw and live into this vision of living skillfully in our lives so that we are both effective and what we're doing is sustainable. And as Christians, that should be our aim. We should want to live lives that are skillful and that are uh, 
Lives that are building our capacity to love God well and to serve our neighbors well. But this is going to require us to learn some habits around what does it look like to take care of the most important material tool God has given me, which is me. Like my body, my mind, my spirit. Like This is super important. Am I taking care of it? Am I sharpening it so that I can cut down the trees sustainably and effectively that God has placed in my life? If the axe is dull and if its edge is unsharpened, more and more strength will be required. And the subtext of that verse is, and you'll just get more and more exhausted and frustrated. But with skill comes success. Now, there's an important distinction that I want to name here, because sometimes when people hear this language of sharpening the saw or um, growing in our capacities, they can conflate that with kind of resting and doing things that lead to our renewal. Um, I think it's important to parse those out a little bit. Rest is obviously a massive biblical theme. God invites us into his rest, first and foremost, in and through Jesus, but then through patterns like Sabbath and these principles of helping his people to understand that life isn't about simply just working more and more and more. But taking time away from work to rest is good. And resting is what we do when we've expended effort and then we need to disengage in order to kind of recharge our batteries come back to a place of refreshment and then engage our responsibilities again. Sharpening the saw is a little bit different. When we're sharpening the saw, what we're actually trying to do is not simply disengage from work, but we're trying to figure out how to sharpen our skills so that when we engage our work and our responsibilities again, we don't have to use as much energy and effort. Do you see the difference there? If all I'm focusing on is resting, then I go to work, I do my job, I'm tired, I come home, I disengage, I sleep, I, I wake up, I go back into my job the next day. That's a good rhythm, work and rest. That's an appropriate rhythm. Sharpening the saw added as a layer to that is taking things in a different direction. It's saying, yep, yeah, I'm going to have times where I'm engaged. I'm going to have times where I'm resting. But I also need to figure out if there are things that I can change so that I'm more effective at work or that I'm more effective at my rest so that my work is more uh, effective and fruitful and my rest is deeper and more restorative. Think about the axe and the tree. Resting is just trying to chop down the the tree with the axe and then stopping, letting yourself catch your breath, picking up the axe again and keep going. Sharpening the saw is realizing, oh, you know what? This axe edge is pretty dull. I should take a few minutes and sharpen it because that's going to make the next hour of chopping way easier. I'll need to rest less and I will be more productive. At some point, a dulled axe essentially becomes sort of a pointed hammer, right? If I never sharpened my axe, axe blade, it would just be a dulled hammer. And you play that scenario out in your mind's eye and you realize, oh, this, is, um, this is just becomes comically absurd. You're almost now trying to beat down a tree instead of cutting down a tree. Who wants to live like that? Who would want to tackle a job with tools that were that dull? And yet, so often, because we aren't taking time to sharpen the saw, we're showing up for our own lives. We're getting up and out of bed, and we're already deprived of sleep. We're not feeling well. Maybe we're anxious, depressed. We're run down. We're ragged. And that's because even though we've taken maybe some time to rest, we haven't been thoughtful about how do I live more skillfully? How do I sharpen myself 
so that this work is easier and this rest is deeper. I would argue that sharpening the saw, learning to live skillfully, is a kind of spiritual discipline. Because if you think about the sum totality of your personhood, that is a gift from God. That's been given to you. And you have tremendous authority over what you do with your time uh, and your energy and, and your body. It's a tool that God has given you through which to glorify him and serve other people. And because it's a tool and it's a gift, you have to steward it. You have a responsibility to say, how do I take this tool and make it as sharp as possible so that I can be fruitful and effective for God? I want to keep myself sharp so that I can learn, so, so that whatever trees God has placed in my life to cut, right? Whatever responsibilities, whatever calling specific to my life God has, I'm going to do it effectively and sustainably. Isn't that the way you want to live when it comes to like loving and serving and leading and caring for people and guiding and directing and growing mature and maturing as a Christian? Don't you want to do those things in a way that is actually effective and sustainable? I do. And if we come to a place where we in, recognize or God shows us that we need a reset in our lives, I think a big part of that reset is realizing I need to learn how to live skillfully. I've just been kind of doing stuff and there's been a lot of sharp edges that have been dulled in my life. And if I'm going to live differently, if this is going to be a reset, I need to let God teach me how to enter into this spiritual discipline of sharpening the saw. Now, what does it look like for you to sharpen the saw at your particular age and your stage of life? Um, obviously, that's going to be, to a certain extent, very, very individual. Um, the difference between what sharpening the saw looks like for a 15-year-old versus someone who is 30 uh, versus someone who is married with uh, one child versus 10 children, someone who is um, uh, retired, someone who is dealing with a really significant uh, health issues of some kind, that's all going to play a, a part. And we have to be wise and thoughtful in recognizing where God has us at this stage of our lives, but taking that into account to still recognize that there are broad principles that we can, uh, that we should pay attention to and that apply to anybody who's wanting to um, enter into a process where they are learning to not just rest, but um, sharpen who they are, grow and expand their capacity to live effectively and sustainably. So the particularities of the practices of what I might do versus what Rick might do versus what Tracy might do in terms of sharpening the saw might be distinct, but they are going to overlap in some common patterns. And I'm just going to or organize them around kind of a threefold, um, or th three layers of, uh, three levels of, uh, of analysis, kind of like body, mind, spirit. So that's just one way. You could organize it in a different way, but um, just to keep things moving this morning, I'm just going to use those broad categories. So sharpening the saw at the level of our physical bodies, which again are a gift of God, we've been stewarded with them, that's going to mean that while the particularities might look different, they're going to have to focus in some ways on things like getting quality sleep. I spent way too many years of my life trying to squeeze in extra entertainment, extra work, just doing more stuff late into the evening. And for me, one of the particularities that I've instituted in my life is, in general, I'd say about 95% of the time, I am in bed at nine o'clock. I'm usually asleep by about quarter after nine. And I wake up somewhere between 4.30 and 6, depending on the intensity of my day. And that ensures that I get to bed early, I get a solid night's sleep, 
And that's very important in terms of uh, making sure that I keep myself sharp. Getting quality sleep is really, really important. Um, you know, parents of young kids know that. I mean, you know it if you're, if you're there right now. You totally know that. Um, just like you can't kind of out-exercise a bad diet, you can't, there are no hacks that can work around low quality of sleep. And so one of the ways that we sharpen our saw is to find ways to deepen our rest. And then the other areas uh, physiologically that are important are the areas of food and exercise. Um, we want to be learning, especially as with each decade, as we get older, we want to become attuned to the way that food affects us and to make sure that we have as um, you know, balanced and healthy uh, a nutritional plan as possible. Some people use the word diet. I don't like the word diet. That sort of implies a caloric restriction. I really have kind of changed my mindset to think about nutrition plan. How do I properly fuel my body so that I can stay sharp and serve God and people effectively? And then exercise. Moving your body is so important. We live in such a sedentary uh, time because of so many uh, eases that have been introduced to our lives. It's so important to move our bodies. Vigorous exercise at an age appropriate, in an age appropriate way, stretching. These are things that really help to keep us physically sharp. There's a lot of things that, well, think about any aspiration that you have in your life, any dream, any intention as it relates to your life and your faith. If you are not getting quality sleep, if you are turning to, um, essentially, if you're fueling your body with junk food consistently, and if you are not moving your body, it's going to be very difficult to chop down those trees effectively. It will just feel grindingly hard and frustrating. So at the level of our bodies, it's so important to learn and then invest the time to learn how to have deep rest, how to find the foods and the eating schedule and the ways of eating that work for you and give you maximum energy and to move your body so that your mood is lifted and you have the sense of like, yeah, like I'm strong and I'm strong, not just to be strong, not to look a certain way, but I'm strong so that I can serve others well. So in that second dimension of mind, um, I mean, ironically, I have found personally that the most effective ways, the most effective things that I've done to sharpen the saw as it relates to my mind is getting good rest, eating better food and exercising. But this does tie back into um, that message that we talked about a few weeks ago, where Philippians 4 says, Whatever is true and noble and right and pure and loving and admirable, if anything's excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. We sharpen the mind when we expose ourselves to quality, stimulating ideas and information. Um, another thing, though, that I think is important as it relates to sharpening the saw, if you really want this to be an area where you are learning to keep your mind sharp, either for professional or personal reasons, is to take the time to write. Um, I'm kind of late to the game in this on a personal level. Being a pastor is really helpful because it forces you to write and articulate your thoughts. But the process of articulating your thoughts is actually kind of like what writing is. Because you have these ideas and these concepts kind of swimming around in kind of vague ways in your mind and you're kind of thinking about it. But when you're forced to write it down and to get precise and to say, this is exactly how I feel, this is exactly what I mean, this is exactly what I'm intending to convey. There's a sharpness there. And the process of writing is actually the process of learning to think more clearly. So one of the ways that we can sharpen the saw in our mind is even something a practice, even a practice as simple as journaling. 
two or three sentences a day that really tries to articulate what did I learn today? What is God showing me? What did I experience today? What am I grateful for? And I, and I know this is probably a discipline that's maybe more difficult for, for men, but it's really, really important. Have some kind of mechanism in your life where you are forced to not just think about things or be exposed to ideas, but articulate them. And then lastly, spirit. And I'm using spirit here not in a pretty broad, vague sense that it's much more tied to the language of enthusiasm. Uh, Enthusia, inspirited, that place within us that, that the Bible speaks to where our spirits can be brought low, but our spirits can be lifted up and we can be filled with enthusiasm and hope and we just live with kind of the wind at our back and the spring in our step, and it comes from a, a place of deep interior settledness and peace. There's a lot that could be said here, and um, I don't want to leap over the importance of things like prayer and scripture study and um, finding meaningful ways to enter into certain disciplines like fasting. Those can all be a part of nurturing the spirit. But one of the things that I think doesn't get emphasized sometimes enough in the context of discipleship is the importance of making sure that a little part of your day is fun and just recreational, like literally recreational. That you're allowing yourself permission, especially if you're in an age and stage of life where there are pressures underneath you with kids, maybe above you with parents and, and work, and there's a lot of, you, you, you are in kind of the crucible of pressure to make sure you have a release valve, whether it's a hobby that allows you to disengage, that sharpens you in a different way, giving yourself 30 minutes or an hour of time that you can just pause and step away and say, I'm going to do this, not just to rest, but to recreate, doing some art. Um, Again, might tie into some other things like exercise or taking more time to prepare a meal and using that as a time for reflection and just the enjoyment of trying something new and and the scents and the smells. If we just work on effort and striving and only ever have our eyes on our goals and our responsibilities, it's a surefire way to just get run down. And when we're run down, there's going to be more and more temptation to simply just give up. So not only is it okay to engage in activities that are just fun, that, are, that you just delight in, that you just say, you know what, like Eric Liddell, like when I run, I feel God's pleasure. Like when I sit down in my chair and I relax, and I'm just doing some, some knitting or some quilting and it's quiet. Maybe I've got some worship music on in the background. Maybe it's completely quiet. Maybe I'm, just, maybe I'm connecting with a friend over Zoom. I feel God's pleasure. And it's just awesome when I'm reading this book, when I, again, it's going to be, the particularities are going to be distinctive. But I just want you to hear that it's important to nurture that place within yourself where you can just relax, but God can sharpen you as you take part in a different kind of creative, innovative endeavor. And when we talk about sharpening the saw, that can go by many names. And some people use that principle or that idea synonymously with other concepts like self-care, self-love, self-compassion. And I I don't want to get into an argument um, or or spend a lot of time trying to think through which of the, like, is is sharpening the saw always self-care? Is it self-love? What's going on there? What's the relationship? Um, What I want to caution is that sometimes when those other terms are invoked, self-care, self-compassion, self-love, Christians can kind of recoil a little bit little yellow flag goes up for them because it doesn't seem to sit well with Jesus' most, one of his most fundamental warnings and framings of what it means to follow him, right? In Luke 9, you'll be familiar with this if you've read the Gospels, even a few times, because it comes up in all the Gospels. If anyone's going to follow me, so Jesus says, if you want to be a Christian, 
you must deny yourself and take up your cross daily and follow me. So Jesus makes it very clear for a Christian that self-denial lies at the heart of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. But if self-denial lies at the heart of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, what do I do with some of this language of like self-love, self-care, self-compassion? And that's why for me, I, I mean, some of those terms are a little bit, are very loaded and somewhat triggering for me, but that's why I kind of always, not always, but often come back to sharpening the saw because I think that holds together a better vision for why we do these things. Is it possible to pursue self-love and self-compassion and even self-care in a wildly self-centered way? Of course. It's harder to do that when we understand what we're trying to do is to sharpen the saw. Because that automatically pulls us into, wait, a saw it has a purpose. A saw is designed to do something. I'm sharpening the saw not so that I can just sit on the wall, and I can, not so that I can hang it on the wall and say, wow, look at that beautiful, sharp saw. I'm sharpening the saw so that it can do what it was designed to do. And when we understand that, then we realize, oh yeah, I'm doing these things, or I should be doing these things, so that, my, so that I stay sharp, so that I can properly fulfill what God has called me to be and what God has called me to do. To honor him, to love him, to serve his purposes in the world, to care for those he has given me charge over in my life, to be of use to other people, to be a blessing to other people. Christians need to sharpen the saw because we want to serve Jesus and other people skillfully. I don't know about you, I have met people, I've met Christians who love Jesus and they love people, but they don't really know how to do either of those things very skillfully. And their hearts are in the right place, but they don't have, they're not, they haven't developed uh, maturity and growth and these capacities. They haven't sharpened themselves so that they're more effective in doing those things. And living that way, where our hearts are in the right place, but we're actually a blunt instrument, that doesn't bring glory to God. That doesn't bring glory to my neighbor, right? Imagine if, I don't, I don't want that, you know, God forbid at my funeral, I don't want anyone's reflection of my uh, tenure here at Nelson Covenant just to be, you know what? His heart as a pastor was in the right place. We know we love God. We know we love people. He was so sincere in his faith. But honestly, the metaphor that I come back to is the guy was kind of a dull axe trying to like beat down a tree. Like, no, I want people to say, Jeff wasn't perfect. And yes, he was sincere in his faith. And yes, he's, his heart was in the right place. But we also saw him grow. And he sharpened himself. And he learned. And he was effective. And he had a sustainable ministry. And now he's leaving a legacy that we can learn from and be inspired by. Doing things, doing lots of things, but doing lots of things thoughtlessly, without creativity, without a lot of care, doing too many things, doing things too quickly, doing things in a rundown, impatient, angry, frustrated, tired space, none of those things bring glory to God. And almost never, do they actually function as a blessing in the lives of people? So we don't want to just serve Jesus and love people. We want to learn to do those things skillfully. And that's why we have to take times where we step back and not just rest, but evaluate and say, what am I doing to make sure that body, mind, and spirit in these different dimensions of my life, I'm actually learning how to stay sharp. And tying it back into this invitation of Jesus to deny yourself and follow him, what I want you to understand is Christians sharpen the saw so that they can deny themselves and follow Jesus. 
Christians sharpen the saw in order to deny themselves and follow Jesus. Because if you don't follow, if you don't sharpen the saw, and you begin to slowly become dulled on the level of body, mind, and spirit, and that continues to escalate, your life will necessarily become more self-centered. Because all that will increasingly matter to you is your issues, your problems, uh, your frustration, your rundownness. You'll move into survival mode, and then you'll just... The, the, really, the only horizon that you're looking to is just getting through today. Just getting through today. And that can happen slowly over people's lives. That's not glorifying to God. That's not picking up your cross and following Jesus. Sharpening the saw is one of the mechanisms through which Christians learn how to deny themselves and turn and follow Jesus. Okay, lop there. I'll let it sit with you this week. Pray, ponder about it. But please take advantage of this time. This is a time to reset. This is a time to examine what has become dull in your life and to make some adjustments. Don't, you don't have to make big ones, even little ones. Maybe it's in your marriage, maybe it's in your career, your faith walk and your parenting. This is a time to not just slump into another week and try and willpower your way through, just get her done. Stop trying to cut down trees with a dulled axe. It is good and right and faithful to spend, if need be, four hours sharpening that axe so that you can actually spend the next two being effective in your service of God. For some of you, this will mean doing more. For some, it might mean doing less. For all of us, it's probably going to mean doing a few things differently. But let's remember that when the axe is dull and its edge is unsharpened, more and more work is required. But with skill, success comes. May God give us grace to live and love skillfully as disciples of his. So as you move into this new month and this new week, I'm going to use the benediction that was in our at-home worship guide. May the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that he, you may do his will, working in you that which is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And may the love of God the Father, the grace of God the Son, and the fellowship of God the Holy Spirit be with you all this week. And all of God's people said, Amen. God bless, guys. Have a great week.